Welcome, friends, and thank you for listening. I'm Scott Sullivan, Discipleship Catalyst with the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, and our team exists to strengthen Georgia Baptist churches in the area of discipleship. We've developed three tools just for you. The Watershed Principle, which identifies the six main ministries of the church that must be healthy to produce world-impacting disciple-makers. The Spark Conference. Last year's conference saw over 33,000 views from 45 different states and 18 countries. This year's conference will premiere on August the 12th with best-selling author Tony Evans, Ben Mandrell, president of Lifeway, and David Kinneman, the president of the Barna Group. We also have learning communities that are set up throughout Georgia, which exist to help you finish the task of leading your family in ministry well. You can see our website to find one near you. Also, every Thursday at 3 p.m., you can catch this broadcast through Facebook, Instagram, or multiple podcast platforms. Now, let's join today's broadcast. Hey, hey, we have an incredible panel today and a topic that touches all of us as leaders. So I've got Dr. Frank Cox and his bride, Mary Cox, on with us today. Mary is the pastor's wives, Catalyst with GBMB, and Frank is the pastor at North Metro First Baptist Church in Lawrenceville, uh, I believe for 41 years. And Frank is an author, he's a gifted communicator, denominational leader, served on many boards of directors, and I could go on and on about uh, accomplishments from, uh, from what Frank has been a, a part of and what Mary has been a part of here at the board. And, and I've said it before that Frank is one of those guys when a big decision needs to be made, he's a good one to have in the room. He's navigated those waters. He's been down that road. So super grateful to have Frank and Mary jumping on with us today for sure. Now, here's just a reminder. Our team has a stack of resources we want to give away. So if you're watching Georgia Baptist Discipleship Facebook, make sure and leave a comment and you'll get entered into the drawing at the end. And if you'll share the link, that'll be a second entry for you as we give away some free swag at the end. Frank, Mary, welcome guys. Thanks for jumping on with me. Well, thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. Yeah, loving that background and that um, vibe that y'all have got going on there at the church and love what you're doing at the church. But probably my most important question as we kick this thing off is, how is grandparent life? Oh, you want me to answer to her? Hey, either one. I know y'all loving it. Hey, grandparenting is the great. That is the greatest joy in your life. It is God's reward for you not killing your children while you were late. <laughs> it is something special for sure. So we've we've enjoyed um, we've enjoyed already all five of our grandkids. They've been busy this um, uh, this spring, you know, with birthdays and dance recitals and all kinds oh of goodness. fun stuff so uh, ball games so it's it's a lot of fun right now hey scott yeah. grandparents and grandchildren have the same common enemy their parents there you go so we hey, all team up it's a unification factor that's right you know my i was talking to my dad not too long ago about it and he said listen if i'd have known the grandparent in this was this fun i'd have had them first <laughs> yeah I, right. I understand it there we go. Well, look, I feel like smoking the bandit here. We got a long way to go in a short time to get there. So let's jump in our topic of friendly fire, effectively navigating church conflict. And and Frank, you've you've been in the church, man, you've navigated those. You've been doing church life for several decades and you've been in North Metro Church and led that church, I believe, for 40 years. I'll let you clarify that. 
Um, but before I pitch you this first question, I, I just got, I mean, just got in the last few days, the new Lifeway June 2021 report. And there was a couple of things that it really just reminded us. It clarified some things we already knew that worship attendance has been in decline for two decades, that membership in Southern Baptist churches has been in decline for nearly two decades. And of the 51,000 SBC churches in 2018, we saw 1,019 of those close their doors in 2019. And I, as I was just reading this and preparing for this com conflict discussion with you and Mary, man, it just, here's what really came to my mind that I think just drives the importance of what we're talking about home to me. There are so many difficult things that the enemy's throwing at us that church life is difficult. If we don't learn to manage conflict friendly fire, learn to manage that well, it's just one more thing that's inhibiting gospel impact. So, you know, based on that thought, Frank, we know friendly fire is real. Do we see some friendly fire in the New Testament? Help me with maybe, you know, some, some biblical context there. And, you know, because surely what we deal with in local church and contemporary church didn't just start with us, right? No, no, S Scott, let, let me tell you that that I've been here 40 and a half years, almost 41 years, coming up on 41 years. Love my church. Wouldn't want to pastor any other congregation uh, unless it was, you know, some some church running 50,000 or something. You know, I wouldn't leave my church to go to another church. And I and I found that that seminary is a great place to come from. Uh, seminary teaches you how to preach, how to teach, how to sing, uh, how to administrate. But one thing seminary does not teach you is how to deal with the friendly fire in the trenches. When I first came here back in 1980, I want you to know that I came with all the zeal of being called by God. I couldn't wait to pastor my first full-time church. And man, I grew up in a pastor's home and I just saw all the good things about church. Nobody taught me that there would be people that would give you pushback. And so I, I choose to call it pushback, but friendly fire. Uh, I'll never forget the day the guy walked in my office and said, after I lost a vote, and I say I, you know, our church lost a vote uh, on, a, on a decision to, uh, to fire a uh, staff member, and the whole church had to vote. Uh, it's not that way now, but it was then. And he leaned across my desk and pointed his finger at me and said, let that be a teaching lesson to you. As long as our church exists, we're a church governed by the people and not by God. And wow. boy, I sat there for the first time. And, you know, and, and like an idiot, I stood up and looked back at him and said, well, as long as I'm pastor here, we'll be governed by God and not the people. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what that did? That didn't fly well, did conflict. I was accused of everything. And when I went to the pages of the New Testament, you know, I wish God, when, when he revealed his word to us, he would say, this is how you handle conflict, 10 steps here. And we right. had it in one spot, but no, you got to go to the whole council of the word of God. There you go. And what you find in the, in the New Testament, uh, Acts chapter six, you know, you got the conflict that began to rise in the church. And I just kind of read into it that when it says that they were murmuring, that no doubt there were barbs, there were things that mm. were said. I mean, they were not a spiritually uh, mature church at that time. And so 
the Bible begins to show you how to handle with conflict. Uh, the pastors didn't separate themselves from what they were called to do. The pastors asked the congregation to choose seven men. They gave them the qualifications. They got to be of good reputation. Uh, they got to be full of the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, they got to be full of wisdom. Right there tells us that not everybody in the church is full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit of God, yeah. and so forth. Now, they, a lot of them don't have good reputation. I, that's why we're here, you know, to, to grow people in the likeness of Christ. The Apostle Paul, uh, you got to remember, people questioned his, his apostleship. I mean, listen, you find in the word where uh, there, he's, he, he's reestablished, I'm called by God. Uh, people uh, accused him of ministering from an, uh, an impure, self-serving re uh, reasons. Right. And so, you know, Stuart Briscoe said this, so important. Qualification for ministry is threefold. One is you got to have the mind of a scholar. You got to have the heart of a child, and you've got to have the hide of a rhinoceros. Uh, 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 yeah. And so, you know, I sit there a lot of times. You know, pastors think they got thick skin. No, we got thin skin. We hurt just like everybody else hurts. It's hard so, not to take some of that personal, isn't it, Frank? Yeah, it is because your heart, your heart, you're called. You're right in there, uh, wanting to serve God. And then when that word of criticism comes, yes. Gosh, you want to say, man, if you only knew the motive of my heart. Yeah. And a lot of times people don't. You know, Scott, I, I found something just, just to be, uh, I'm not going to give it all to you because I, I typed out 16 pages. Um, <laughs> but, but you know what I found out? And this is important for pastors of churches to remember. And that is that just as God has his people joining your church, Satan has his people joining your church. Mm. And sometimes unregenerate people will be the ones who pull the pin on the hand grenade of criticism and throw it your way. Mm -hmm. Li uh, not Lifeway, but Nam just put out a thing that said 50% of your people in your church are lost. Mm -hmm. uh, Billy Graham, when he was alive, used to say 83% of your church sitting in your building on Sunday morning they do not know what it's like to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Hmm. And so natural people do what natural people do. Yeah. They bring the world system into your church and they, they act like the world and therefore criticism comes. Now that doesn't mean that all criticism is bad. I'm just telling you right. that's where it comes from a lot of times. And a lot of times it comes from the undisciplined Christian. The one who doesn't grow as a disciple, somebody who doesn't read the word of God. And what they, what happens is, is because they're not feeding themselves spiritually, that what happens is they take common sense and thinks it's spiritual. Yeah. And so these criticisms come from a lot of different ways. But let, let's go back to Paul just for a quick moment. Three things I want to tell you. If you're looking for something that you ought to remember, it, it ought to be this. Number one, take up your cross, men. You got to understand the scripture says in Mark chapter eight, verse 34, take up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. Hmm. And if the scripture says they hated Jesus, why do you think everybody's going to speak well of you all the time? And so you got to take up the cross. Second thing is take off your crown. And what I mean by that is instead of acting like you're infallible, you're not. 
Hey, the best thing you can do is tell you people, I make mistakes. You know why? Because when you fall off that pedestal, they say, well, he told us he makes mistakes. But a lot of times we preach as though we're infallible. Hmm. Uh, take off the crown. We're not sovereign. Only one sovereign, and that's God. Uh, so take take up your cross, take off your crown, uh, preach Jesus as sovereign. And the third thing is go to your Gethsemane. You know, I on my last trip to Israel, we got to go into the private Gethsemane garden. It was humbling. That's where the Lord said, is there any way you can take this from me? How many times in that criticism hmm. do you say, Lord, can you, can you get them off my back? Yeah. And yet he came back and said, but not my will, but your will be done. And so we got to come and get to the point in our life that, that we are sitting there and uh, we are, we are allowing God's will to be done in our lives. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. That's good. That's good. And you know, Frank, I'm a people watcher. And I'm a member at North Metro, and you're our family's pastor. And uh, and let me just say this, Mary, as well. Uh, thank you for loving my wife. You know, this this move is no secret to you all or to people on this broadcast as being incredibly difficult for our family. And the, the person I was worried about the most was my bride coming here. And the way you loved her um, set a tone for us well, to be successful. Precious. I love her. And she is, um, she is a great asset to even our women's ministry already and, and doing great things and just very talented and um, love being around her. All yeah. The time. yeah. Well, like I said, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a people watcher. I've watched you guys lead well from the stage, from behind the scenes. And I've watched 30 years of local church. And one thing I've noticed is that people are passionate, passionate when it comes to church life, to decisions and, um, they can be passionate about an issue, but still not be right. And the problem for many of our people is not what they know for sure. The problem is what they know that just ain't so. And that causes conflict. In, and I think, Frank, that's why I've, I've asked you to be on it, because I just respect you. And you've given you know, so much leadership to our convention for so long to share some of these nuggets with our leaders. Because there's a lot of people that are still holding on to things that aren't wrong. I mean, you think about... Um, People who once thought the world was round or still think that Pluto's a planet or that bulls hate red, you know, that sometimes they're holding on to Well, church folks do the same thing. And Mary, let me pitch this next question to you, because we know conflict is real in the church and it affects the wife. I mean, that's that's serious business. And I've lived that for decades when I was in Louisiana. So let me pitch this next question to you. Okay. How does it look and feel from the wife's perspective? And what role can you see the wife can can play in managing that? Because I know that's got to be a struggle for you as well. Well, it is. I, I mean, anytime anyone brings conflict into the church, um, the first thing that it does is it stresses him out. Okay. Um, and then therefore, uh, we hear what's going on. The wife does. And one of the things I think this is the hardest thing is to uh, feel like that you just need to jump right in and fix it for him or jump right in and defend him. And, um, and really I found out over the years, sometimes that just roused him up even a little bit more (laughs) when we begin to start to to talk about it and talk about it. And really what I found out the real thing that he needs to know and, and, and the best encouragement I can give him is to listen Mm. and let him talk it out because I'm the best person that he has to talk it out. That way he's not investing 
all of his feelings into a church member that might not understand his view at that point or, um, or, you know, he can totally trust me. So I, I hope that I've been a trustworthy wife. And um, I feel like that that's one of the things that I can do the best for him is just listen to him. Um, you know, when difficulties come and conflict comes, of course, um, um, it, it, it hurts us because yeah. in, Unfortunately, um, most of the times you're hurt by somebody that you've invested the most in. Uh, so and good. that is so disappointing. You get so disappointed in people. And so I think that's what is the hardest is your disappointment. You're like, man, I've spent so much time with this person. I've poured my life to, to help them in this situation. I've done this for their family. I've done this. And, and you know, what, what is the real problem? And a lot of times we find out just letting him talk it through and talk it through and me listening, sometimes asking questions for clarification. Um, but um, we come out and we're, we realize that, you know, what's going on with that person? There's yeah. something in their life right now that is not going right. And uh, why is that person behaving the way they are right now? And so I think it just helps if I listen and talk it through. That's one of the most important things. We, hmm. And then really pray about it because you got to kind of talk it through before you can even start praying about it. Yeah. You know? um, and then, um, and then we can learn, but learn from it because sometimes there's sometimes we say, okay, what can we learn from this? You know, um, hard things can become good. And there was a scripture that came to mind um, when I read this today. And when I was looking at some things, it says hard things can become good. James 1, 2 says this, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. And that was really um, just kind of eye opening for me. And, you know, because a lot of times we don't feel like great, this is great joy. Now, down the road, when we see where God was working, we can realize we can be joyful in it because we know that God was protecting us, watching over us, working all the way yeah. through. But then James um, 1, 3, and 4 say this, for, you know, when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And I think that kind of says pretty much all of it. Well, so um, the hard part for us as wife, forgiveness, showing mercy for the other people, because we want to defend our husbands and, and be good wives. But I realize that when I get on board with God on that and um and we can talk about it. We can pray about it. And when we can talk about it and we can admit that we're discouraged or we're hurt, uh, it just helps us work through the problem. Um, I think it's really good to laugh about some things because there's crazy things that happen and you just yeah. have to laugh about those things. Yeah. A lot of crazy things. We always say we're going to write a book one day. Uh, we just can't put the name. We got to die before we publish it, I guess. Yeah. The title of the book is going to be, They Think We're Crazy. They think we're yeah. crazy. Yeah. So laugh when you can laugh. So listen, number one, um, ask questions, get godly wisdom. Try not to fix it for your husband because that can bring more discouragement. Um, and then pray, pray, pray. Um, I know that um, I'm here to encourage him and kind of give him a different perspective at times, but I'm not here to discourage him. You know, this, we say this in marriage counseling all the time is I know what makes him tick, but I also know what ticks him off. Oh, so that's good. 
I have to make sure that I'm not bringing on more of a problem for him by, um, you know, uh, making it uh, more confusing for him or trying to figure out, you know, trying to fix things. So yeah. that's not, that's not my job. So use kind words. Don't try to fix it. Just loving through it. That's strong. And that is a perspective, Mary. I'm just be honest with you that I don't have, I, I don't have that wife's perspective. I don't see that. So thank you for sharing those things. And one thing you brought up that I, that I have experienced with Elizabeth is when those things are happening and people are shooting those darts and the missiles are coming, the ability to talk with my bride. And, and I usually don't need her advice. I'm usually like, I'm usually pretty fired up, but there's usually a nugget that she mentioned that gives perspective that I need. So I've seen that with you and Frank, that's just strong. Thank you for sharing that. Now, Thanks. Frank, let me, um, let me jump to here to you. Cause I want to get real practical for our viewers and listeners here. What are some steps that a disciple that a leader can take when they're coming under friendly fire, right? Because you mentioned that sometimes our yep. knee jerk is to punch them in the mouth or, yep. or to just vomit our anger onto them. And usually that's not the best practice. So give us some tips here. Well, let, let me tell you this, Scott, uh, you've been around me some, I got a fiery personality. I am a type A driven person, can't Tell that. <laughs> but, but I, I'll tell you this, I've learned how, how to discipline, try to discipline my life. Uh, the Wounded Minister, a book written by Guy Greenfield, he says this, abuse of pastors by congregations and the breakdown of pastors due to inadequate support are now tragic realities. Hmm. Here's what I would say to ministers. Here's what I'd say to that leader, you know, and that is build your support system. Uh, you know, in everything in life, the key is communication. The key is communication. Hmm. Uh, and, and so I have... 120 pastor prayer partners. And I'm always communicating with them. They meet me every Sunday morning on teams and pray with me. But here's what I've learned, practical steps. Number one, when the friendly fire is coming, just make an assessment. Don't react, assess. And what I mean by that is I ask myself the following questions. Uh, where is it coming from? Uh, who's firing the arrows? Uh, am I overreacting? Am I being hypersensitive? Uh, what kind of response does it deserve? Sometimes it deserves a response. Sometimes it doesn't. And you got to know the difference because if you react and you give them a response, when the best thing would do is stay quiet. My dad used to tell me when he was alive, he said, Frank, Sometimes keep your mouth shut and make them think what you uh, make them wonder what you're thinking. Mm. But if you open your mouth, they're going to know what you're thinking. And mm. so sometimes you just need to bite the tongue and be silent. Uh, another thing I've learned is make a decision. And here's my decision. And that is make a decision to be godly and to be biblical. And uh, in other words, I went to the scripture. I ain't got time. I got five pages of scripture here. Okay. Uh, but let me just read a couple of them to you. Uh, Luke chapter six, verse 31. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. In other words, when you calculate it all out, why they say what they're saying and so forth, treat them like you would want to be treated. That, that would solve a lot of the, the conflict. Hey, Ephesians 4, it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, 
Don't add to the problems by responding in the flesh and letting your mouth get loose from you. Mm -hmm. uh, keep it disciplined. Uh, on and on, I could go and read in scripture, but but let me just say that that always be biblical. Try to be Christ-like in your approach. You may not believe it. Scott, if you come to my office, sometimes you'll see it. There is a little tent on my desk uh, uh, out of a, a cardboard, out of a out of just a a, a table tent. Yeah, a table tent that I made. And on that it says, keep smiling. What would Jesus do? Hmm. And so when that person's sitting across from me and I'm hearing stuff I don't want to hear, I keep glancing down and I keep reminding myself, keep smiling. And what would Jesus do? Well, uh, I tell you another thing is I, I commit myself. The third thing is to be a, a godly leader. Now, listen, lessons I've learned is this. The, these are the lessons. Conflict is inevitable if you're leading for change. That's and men, if you want to do something, expect conflict. If you don't want conflict, don't do anything. But listen, they're going to criticize you for not doing anything. Yep. So if you're a leader and you're leading for change, conflict comes. Conflict cannot be ignored. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is the smallest conflict can become greater conflict if you just ignore it. So deal with it appropriately. Uh, you know, another thing is, is when conflict comes, what do I do? I sit down and this sounds elementary, but I remember why we exist. Mm. We exist for the gospel. Mm -hmm. We don't exist for us. We exist for the next one that's to be reached with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so you resolve conflict because you love the gospel. Second thing is, is remember how much you value that person that's talking. Because you see, if you don't value them, you'll react one way. But if you really value them and you really love them, then you will have a tendency to respond to them in another way. A third thing I tell you is, for you new pastors at a new church, it'd probably be wise to kind of go slowly for the first two to four years. That's good. Uh, remember, you're, you're the preacher when you get there. You're not the pastor. And only through walking slowly with them, burying their, their dead and marrying their young, and, and then watch you handle stuff in church gains you the right and I'm going to use this word, and, and some people are not going to like it, and the authority to be the pastor. Uh, I didn't get to be pastor here until I'd been here about five to seven years. Mm -hmm. And I wish somebody had told me, Frank, go slow. You know, learn. Before you knock down a wall, find out why that wall's there. It may be a load-bearing wall, and you just, you're not aware of it. Learn to be a good listener. I tell you that. Uh, so often we're poor listeners because we're trying to get in our mind the argument we're going to come back with. Hey, forget your argument. Just learn to listen to them. And, and another thing is, is remind yourself you can listen first and you can talk later, but learn how to capture the essence of their message, communication. In other words, clarify what they're saying to you through paraphrasing. Uh, say, say to them something like, 
Now, if I understand, understood you correctly, this is what you said to me. And then ask the question, is that right? And it gives them a chance. Sometimes when they hear it back, they go, no, that's not what I mean at all. And then they clarify. And then you say, oh, we don't really have a conflict here. Yeah. Uh, and it so changes the whole game. It changes the whole game, sets the table differently. Another thing is learn the importance of leadership skills. Um, you know, in every move I make, a lot of times people don't see this because it's the private part, not the public man on the platform. It's the private man back in the study. Okay. In every move I make, I try to sit down and count the cost. Uh, the scripture says, what man is going to build a tower that doesn't, first of all, sit down and count the cost to make sure he can complete it. Um, I ask questions like, who will this impact the most for the positive and for the negative? Uh, then I take, make me a list of even those that is going to affect negatively. And I start taking some people to lunch. Yeah. And I tell you what I've learned. If I've learned anything in 40 and a half years, here's what I've learned is you take them to lunch and you know, you're getting ready to make a controversial decision. That's going to impact. You take those people that you think it's going to impact negatively. And here's what you say. Hey, I want to thank you for going to lunch with me today. You know, I value you. I value your thoughts. I value your membership at our church. I value your input. I want to share with you something that I believe God is laying on my heart. And I want you to listen all the way through and then answer my question at the end. And I share with them what I'm about to do. Hmm. And I've learned in 40, almost 41 years at one church, I've learned to ask the golden question. Now that you've heard what I'm thinking, what I'm praying about. What do you think? Hmm. And then I shut up. And you know what? Once I told them on the front end, I value them. I put them on my team. Yeah. Then when I say at the end, what do you think? They're overwhelmed that my pastor wants my input. And there's been times, Scott, people have said, well, pastor, have you thought about this? And you know what I sat there and thought? I keep a straight face. And I thought, boy, I hadn't thought about that. Mm -hmm. Boy, I hadn't thought about that angle. And I come back and I tweak my plan. Yeah. Then there's other times I've listened to them all the way through. And I've said, well, I hear what you're saying. And I discuss some of their key points. And then I sit there and say, but I still feel this is what God wants us to do. You know what they do then? They're on my team. Yeah. They're not going to oppose me. They're not going to criticize me. And, you and know, so another I, thing I've that had I, to learn. And Frank, let me mention something here real quick, because you just hit something that I think is crucial when we're trying to, to build that momentum and get that, because you, you gave them value. You're, you're getting them onto the, onto the team, that leader lunch. But what you did was you gave them a voice. And, and I feel like sometimes our people aren't really for us or against us in that stuff. But when we give them a voice, They've got the buy-in. Do you experience that? Yes, every time. They, you know what it does? It 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 takes their criticism off the table. Yeah, uh, they quit criticizing you. 
sometimes you get criticized because they may not think you hear them. Right. And so once you've heard them, they don't have any more criticism. And so they look at you differently. They say, my pastor really cares. My pastor loves. Last night I was in a church that has gone through a couple of bad pastors. And pastors, I hate to admit it, sometimes we're bad, okay? Uh, a lot of times you'll hear about a pastor getting fired and you'll say, Boy, what a bad church. Sometimes we pastors are not the best. And they went through a couple of, of bad pastors, but that pastor said, you know what, Frank? Said there was, there was error on, on both the lay part and the pastors. Hmm. But here's what I found. If those pastors had just taken time to love his people. How do you stay somewhere 41 and a half years? I love my people. That's good. And uh, there's not much I wouldn't do for them. And, uh, and I think they know that. Uh, size of our church, they all know they're not going to be my bosom buddy. And they know I'm not going to take them to breakfast every morning. But when it comes to leadership, and the issue is great for the church, there are some lunches that need to be had. And you need to listen and you need to learn how to appreciate the value of that member. That's strong. I love it. And it, it really, what I'm hearing you talking about, you talked about some prescriptive measures, some things that you can do that really help you Minimize. with mindset and things ahead of time. But even in the moment, it's what I would call, I call the arc principle where you do something today that prepares you for tomorrow. So you're, you're giving nuggets here that are helping people lay a foundation of how to handle it well, because the reality is where it's, if you look at it in the war concept, you, you may not necessarily win everything in that battle, but if you do it well, you're setting yourself up for the greater battle that's coming down the road or for the next initiative. Gosh, that is worth the price of admission. So good. Now, Mary, let me, let me, wind this down and come to you for a second, because I want to talk about resources. I know for a fact there are going to be people watching, viewing, engaging that are in conflict. They're wondering about it. They want to, I mean, what can I do? What are some resources out there? So in terms of GBMB or just your perspective, what are some resources that we can recommend to leaders? Okay. Well, first I want to say just from watching Frank, okay, watching him go through some of the things that he goes through. He has a council of godly men that he talks to. I think for pastors, it's, you would probably agree with that. That's yeah. that's what yeah. you need. He has council of wisdom. Yes, definitely. So that's very important for the pastors, for the pastors' wives, and even for the pastors. Um, you know, uh, I work with Pastor Wellness, so our department does have some resources. We have them on our website. We have uh, regional catalysts that are all over the state that are uh, working to go encourage pastors. When your pastor or husband that needs needs some encouragement, they're there, um, that's what their job is, to drive around the state encouraging others. So that we have that. We have, um, for pastors' wives, our Facebook page has become just a real good ministering spot for us. Um, it's pastor, uh, it's, let me give you the, the Facebook page correctly because I always forget. Okay, it's Georgia Baptist Ministers, apostrophe wives, Georgia Baptist ministers, apostrophe wives. And then we also have a pastor wellness page. That's a, a Facebook page where people are ministering to people um, back and forth. Um, 
My email is mcox at gabaptist.org, and I'll be glad to talk to you, minister to you over the phone if we're close by to eat lunch, have coffee, whatever. Um, And then also, um, we have retreats and different things that we can go to. It's great to get together at those retreats, a lot of times getting together with other couples, um, just talking at lunch or a dinner or whatever. Uh, we've got one coming up in October. We will open up registration July 31st for that. We have a regional pastor's wives event, um, September the 25th in Augusta. It's our last regional event for this uh, year. Um, and then we'll also have a convention luncheon on uh, Tuesday of the convention in November. And Tara Dew, Dr. Tara Dew will be with us then. It'll be a great time. We're looking forward to that. So um, encouraging your husbands. uh, You know, one of the other things that I I say more than anything out of all those resources is um, for the wife is really to love her husband. And this this year, so Frank had a birthday January 2nd. This is the last thing I'll share. Um, and, um, I decided to do something really different for him this year and I can't ever surprise him. I can't ever, you know, find a really creative gift because, you know, he buys what he wants and he, you know, it's hard. So I made a little bat, had a little basket and had envelopes in it and they had the month, January through December, different, 12 different, um, envelopes. And in those envelopes was, um, a date night for each, each month. So the card that I gave him when he opened it up said, this year, I'm going to give you the gift of time. And um, I made him read it out loud. Stephen and Brooke and her fam- their families was, were there. And I made him read it out loud, which I didn't think it would make me emotional, but it made me emotional and also made him emotional. We were mm-hmm. exhausted. We were tired. And he just really appreciated the thought of, I'm going to give you time because you need it. And you need a distraction from all the stress that you're under. And we do need to do that with our with our spouses. We need to take time for each other and have date nights. So that was another one. Hey Scott, let me let me say this. I know you uh, and I'm not. We're really me, late on we're time. We're late Sorry. on time. But here, here's a little nugget of that that I came up with years ago. I, I'm going to take credit for it. I may have read it somewhere. Yeah. But it's simply this: hurt people, hurt people. And so when somebody strikes out, pastors always remember, ask this question. I wonder what struggle they're going through. I wonder what pain they're experiencing. And the last thing you want to do is go home and take it out on your spouse. Let your spouse be your greatest cheerleader. And if you'll give her that opportunity, she'll cheer you on. That's beautiful. Wonderful stuff. Frank and Mary Cox, thank you for loving your family well, for loving your church family well and your community. Thank you for sharing some of these nuggets with our uh, 3,000 of our closest friends on this broadcast. And thank you, listeners. Uh, I want to, if you've um, got a thought or or something you've gained from today, please put that in the chat. We want to hear from you. We want to know what you learned, what engaged you. And I want to leave you with a thought. Ecclesiastes says that there's a time for everything. But it, and it mentions nearly every circumstance except for one, quitting. It doesn't give us the option to quit. It doesn't give us the option to give up. So my prayer is that you won't quit, that you'll stay in the battle, that you'll love those people, love your family, learn to be an overcomer. And if you're struggling, I want you to let me know. Do, don't give up. Our, disciples, our discipleship team literally exists 
to serve you. We want to help. So does our pastor wellness. So thank you so much, Ray Sullivan. Thank you for producing for us today and just being generally awesome. And um, hey, thanks for engaging with us. And now let's go make world impacting disciple makers. Thanks for listening to Georgia Baptist Discipleship Podcast. And we want to give you a gift. The five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple makers. You can get this by going to ministryboom.com forward slash the number five discipleship shifts.com. That's ministryboom.com forward slash the number five discipleship shifts.com. This five-page PDF is a discipleship alignment checklist that may surprise you. It will help you learn why programs are killing your discipleship. The number one default worker strategy that keeps churches from empowering their ministries. Learn the OGV factor and how it can revolutionize discipleship, attendance, and evangelism in your church. Again, go to ministryboom.com forward slash the number five discipleship shifts The Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptist to the cooperative program. For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, visit gabaptist.org forward slash discipleship. And by the way, if you found this content helpful, we sure hope you'll share it with a friend. And thanks so much for partnering with us to make world-impacting disciple-makers.